Hey, Momentum listeners. This is Hannah Leva, Manager of Podcast and Audio Initiatives here at Race Forward. On February 16th, President Biden announced Executive Order 14091, further advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities through the federal government. This second historic executive order mandates racial equity across policy and practice. The magnitude of this EO is tremendous as it is the first time in our nation's history that we have a formal, sustained commitment to institutionalize racial equity at the national level. While progress is being made at the federal level, at the state level, we've been seeing a growing movement that is looking to undermine racial equity work by weaponizing education. And that's what today's episode of Momentum is all about. Specifically, it was the attacks on AP African American Studies and the timing of Black History Month that inspired this episode. Race Forward's Government Alliance on Race and Equity, Deputy Director Marsha Guthrie, hosts this episode and is joined by Dr. Maria Cole, co-founder of Common Purpose, who have worked and organized together in Florida, fighting back against these attacks. First, we'll play a short clip of a powerful testimony of a student that has seen the targeting of AP African American Studies firsthand in Florida, and then Marsha and Dr. Cole will take it from there. Thank you for listening to Momentum or Race Forward podcast. So, well, my initial reaction is I cannot be shocked that this is happening because for the past three, four years, maybe longer, there's been an attack on, you know, sex ed textbooks and even like the Thought Woke Act that was passed. After these things were being passed, it was like a pipeline for other things to happen. And this was just part of the pipeline. I can't say I wasn't angry or that I wasn't irritated because also I was like on the path of taking this course next year. And this was also something I said I always wanted to take African-American history or African-American studies because this is something important to me. I want to learn more about my people. I want to learn more about how we are a part of every facet of this country, every facet of government, every facet of history, like how Black people and like our resilience have acceded through this country. It's also reinforcing in my head that, oh, civil rights isn't over. It's still going on. I feel like our history in schools already isn't taught enough. All we learn about is slavery and then the civil rights movement. And then we learn about the civil rights movement. There's so much that happened in that decade, even more. But we only learn about, again, the same maybe four to five people. And then we see like nice maybe 10 poems, don't even talk more about it, and there's not even open discussions in class about it. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I have the pleasure of speaking with somebody who really cares about this issue, Dr. Maria Cole. We're going to be shining a light on Florida and the issues that are facing our educational system here in Florida and some of the policy changes and conversations that are really taking the country by pause, not just Floridians, in terms of what is happening in our education system for students in Florida, our families, our communities, and those of us who care about racial justice. And so I'm Marsha Guthrie. I am the Deputy Director for Network Strategies here at the Government Alliance on Race and Equity here at Race Forward. And I am joined by Dr. Maria Cole. Welcome, Dr. Cole. Well, thank you for having me, Marcia. Thank you so much. It's always been great to have you as a partner. My name is Maria Cole, and I am one of the co-founders of Common Purpose. And the purpose of our organization was built on, I think, originally around 
what we saw as the threat to public education from a lens of equity and, quite honestly, white supremacy and how it presents itself in our school system. One of the things that prompted us or motivated us into starting the organization was identifying where we can meet each other, whether we are members of the LGBTQ community, members of the Black community or Hispanic community, the religious or faithful community, or the non-believers as well, right? Public education is that space where we find all of us, right? And that's where community is centered. We kind of felt like leaning into it is where we should come to an understanding of who we are as individuals and what it means to come together, what it means to recognize each other's humanity, and how do we take action against an injustice that affects any one of us and the deeper threads of our society when we abandon that. So I hope that gives you an idea of the motivations behind why we founded Common Purpose. It kind of brought me back, right? Because I should have mentioned that I am a staff member here at Garrett Race Forward, but I am a Florida resident. I live right here in West Palm Beach. I am a person who is deeply connected to my community. I'm a member of Common Purpose. And I remember a lot of the early conversations, right, around how can we find common ground amongst the multiple players that were organizing to advance the type of world that we want to participate as community members, that we want to raise our children and our families in. And the one place that we could all kind of get a level of synergy and connection was around this heart place of public education. Because no matter what the cause was that you were caring about, whether it was health, whether it was what was going on in local government and beyond, Everybody cared about schools. Everybody cared about what was happening at the backdrop of some of the policymaking that seemed to have been, you know, sliding under the current, a little tinkering here with legislation, a little tinkering there with rules. Think that last summer we had a summer of action. We were like, whoa, what is going on? We got to reclaim our schools. We got to reclaim our state. We got to reclaim our communities And I hadn't seen such a vibrancy in terms of energy of people wanting to come around to leverage their their power, financial power, political power, the will of the common people. We had everybody from everyday residents to folks who were sitting, you know, on the benches were elected officials or working inside of government, folks who are working in nonprofit. We were connecting with those in philanthropy. So we really found a way to create a common purpose. Right. And to build this organization to be something that we could hopefully span beyond Palm Beach. But here we were right in the summer of action and we were bringing young people to the table and we were bringing families and we're bringing all of these interested stakeholders and we were trying to win the fight on multiple fronts. I thought it was just a very powerful statement when you think about it. Like, I know, I'm sure you remember before our action, the the pushback mm-hmm. and the really violent rhetoric around just masking and getting back to school, right? Like it seemed almost dystopian how we were in this place where people, it was just, you know, it was very violent. It was very aggressive and it was literally creating this tattered fabric, right? Mm -hmm. And we stood back and we were were like, whoa, whoa, 
what's happening here? Like, we should all agree that we want to have a school that's safe for our kids and for our teachers and for everyone that is connected to the school and public education, right? And so we started having a conversation about the equity statement. Yes, yes, yes. Remember that? Yeah. And and how the them having a discussion about the elimination of an equity statement and what that meant. And the thing that I love about Common Purpose most is that we hold space for one another. And I felt it was really, really important that we start with sharing our stories, right? Because if there's no one who's a member of your family that's Jewish or Muslim or Christian or LGBTQIA or whatever, if you don't have a close connection with somebody or or if you're not in relationship with somebody who is different from you, it's really important to have a personal story, right? So that you can then start to recognize each other's humanity. So then when we decided on doing this action, it seemed like the most powerful thing to do was to show up in at the school board and share those stories because it was powerful when we shared them with each other. It should be that powerful when we go into community and we go hold space for one another in a school board meeting. And I thought that that was like, that was one of the most powerful things that I've seen in a long time, you know, because the opposition, if you will, the opposition to CRT, the opposition to racial equity in schools, the opposition to just holding space for people who are different mm-hmm. was just so aggressively charged. And I just thought the the beautiful thing of that meeting was walking in that room and everyone, first of all, everybody wearing the same shirt, right? Yeah. And second of all, everyone standing up for their public statement saying, we stand here in solidarity with one another. Each one had a different story, right? But we were standing in solidarity with one another. And that's what community is about. And that's what I feel like we've lost that in terms of society. And it's so important. You know, I was I was thinking about that summer of action and the months leading up to it and all of the planning the planning hours that we poured into it. And we said, you know, our schools are ours. Our schools are our right. And we need to kind of get back to a place where we have common sense, common, what does what our t-shirt say? Common sense or common purpose, common, ground. common sense, common ground and common purpose. Right. And so we wanted to build the common ground. We wanted to have common sense conversations with the folks who were at the levers of power about what representation meant for children of all identities. Mm-hmm. And this was in the right space of the don't say gay bill, what Florida has coined the mm-hmm. don't say gay bill and this anti-woke act that was put out against public education. And then we had HB1, which is the parental rights and education bill that really just had some really sometimes vague type of language that was kind of just constantly being tweaked. And we said, wow, it's like these things are coming at us from multiple directions across multiple parts of our identities and multiple parts of our humanities. And it seemed as though when when we were organizing around one issue, we couldn't take our foot off the pedal until here came another one. But I remember I'm just like, I have a high school senior 
in Palm Beach County Public Schools. And my daughter takes AP courses. And I didn't think that we would have gotten to a place. We, I mean, we were just worrying to try to get our kids back to school safely, with, you know, wearing masks if they chose to, to a place where we would now be talking about elimination of a key course of African-American studies advanced placement course for schools across Florida. And so what we know is that the issues that we were championing and have been championing within our own community were extensions. There were other community groups and young people and parents showing up in the hills of Tallahassee championing the same things. And just here in late January, just before we entered into Black History Month and the types of conversation that we should be having in Black History Month about celebrating all of the contributions, valuable contributions and life-changing contributions of African-Americans and Blacks in this country, we're having a conversation about yet still another act to erase a part of who we are and to have others learn about these contributions and our continued struggles. And so I wonder, how do we continue to get up for this fight all the time here in a state that consistently is seeing us as unimportant? What did, what did Governor DeSantis says that this is, has no educational no value, value in it? No educational value. What do we continue to tell one another and tell those of us who are in the movement for justice in our public education? Honest education. You remember when, like, the, I forget which bill it was, but you remember his comments about, we don't want our kids to feel bad? Yes, yes. Why is it okay for our kids to feel bad? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Why is it okay for, I remember one of our allies that came that night, he has a trans daughter, and he was there advocating on behalf of her. Right? Why is it okay for his daughter to feel bad. Why is it okay for everyone else who always already feels erased, already feels invisible, why is it okay for them to feel bad? Right? You know, and the, the interesting thing about this to me is that like when we do this and we try to measure it in terms of like constitutionality and what's right and what's just. The interesting thing to me about it is that a lot of these things go away under the decision of his own judges, uh, judges he's appointed or judges that Trump has appointed, but nobody hears about it, right? They've grabbed the headlines and they've, they've sensationalized, they've made an art form of sensationalizing oppression. But when justice is exacted, even by their own handpicked justices. It's silent, you know, but I feel like the important thing, how do we fight against it? There's that. There's the legal level of it. The grassroots level of it is to continue to keep doing what we're doing and reinforcing what we reinforce. We have actions around book banning. We are creating awareness. We have students walking out. Mm -hmm. Right. Atlantic High School, they walked out last Friday. Mm -hmm. We are thinking about planning teach-ins where we actually do talk about African-American history, tell our stories amongst each other to just fortify us and nourish us in the ways in which 
can support this fight because this fight is not going to be over tomorrow. It's not going to be over in four years. I think you raise an important point that we've been trying to flag, right? There's an intentionality around the attack on schools, right? Because that's attacking our heartstrings. That's attacking parents want to protect their children. So when you hear that something is going on in schools that leaves you without choice, a level of agency around what's happening, you your your ears immediately perk up. And what is happening on the other side is that there's it's largely sound bites. It's not a very deep analysis about these issues and what's going on. And if somebody isn't reading, you know, 25 pages of a bill to really understand what it says and how to make meaning of it, you're like, well, on the surface of it, some of it sounds a little bit reasonable, right? Of course, I want my parental rights in education protected. And you may not get to the clause that says, well, you get to get your rights protected at the expense of another marginalized group. And so we know that community organizers are calling for this conversation to not just happen every now and then when we're in like an election season and we're getting people ready to run for our our local school boards and other public offices, but that this needs to be an ongoing call and an ongoing level of accountability constant from even our public officials. So what do you say to those of us who are working in government and want to think about how government is working both inside its institution and outside alongside community that we can co-govern, that we can co-design, that we can have an anchored conversation about these types of issues and others, where is that place for really coming together? What does that need to look like? Well, I think that's a great question. I I feel like there's, there has to be that co-governance that you're talking about. It has to be a partnership, right? I feel it's most effective when we have that relationship, that intimate relationship with our elected officials. You know, we are truly blessed to have elected officials who do partner with us, who do share, who tell us, hey, this is coming down the pipe, right? Whether it's on this at the school district level or whether it's in the state legislature, we have, if you will, a kind of immediate response from elected officials to let us know what's happening. We have to act. We have certain limitations because, you know, one of the things I feel like our school district in general, not just the elected officials there, but in our school district in general, we have people living in fear. Yes, yes. We've lost a lot of school Mm -hmm, teachers. mm -hmm. You know, we have a lot of people who are really concerned about what's happening. Just remember, one county south of us in Broward County, the governor came in and removed four school board members, yeah. right? did the superintendent. And that's right. Everyone is always like walking on eggshells when it comes to the fight back. But the fight back has to be us in a lot of respects because of their position. The fight back has to be, it has to be led by us, charged by us and organized by us in partnership with them in terms of what is the awareness. And the more we can organize around that, a level of interest we bring to it in community and the community can then see the threat, I feel like that's where the touch point is. So I know what you mean by us. Just want to make sure that for our listeners, who is the us? All of us. 
we all come to this space as community from a different lens, right? Mm -hmm. We have people who are simply community builders. Mm -hmm. They don't have children in the school district, right? And I remind people of this every day. They don't have children in the school district, but the nurse that will take care of them when they're in the hospital has to have gone through that school. The doctor, the engineer, the road builder, the carpenter, whatever, that they're part of a community and we can't extract ourselves from community. The us is parents, right? Mm -hmm. The us is our grandparents, children in the school system. We all, teachers, support staff, we are all part of the us. It all reflects community. And because it all reflects community and we all show up in a different, from a different lived experience and different lenses in which we see the, the situation, it informs all of us better to take that action as an us, as a collective. Thank you for that. I think it's often important to name that, right? So here at Explored, we talk about, you know, that our mission is, you know, as movement building for racial justice, that we're working in partnership with communities, with organizations, with sectors, and that we're building strategies to advance multiracial democracy. And oftentimes when we hear talk about advance a multiracial democracy, we have to name that. What are we talking about? What does a multiracial democracy even look like? And how are we putting language to that? How do I see myself in a part of that in part of that mission. So I appreciate you sharing that because these attacks, specifically we're talking about attacks on public education that we've experienced here in Florida are not new. Absolutely not. They've been going on silent undercurrent for a long time. We didn't just get to a place where now we have the removal of the African-American advanced placement course. And now this week's rhetoric is that we might ban all AP courses in general and just do away with the college board who provides testing for PSATs and SATs so that we can see what young people's skills are to be able to engage in the global world as they matriculate to post-secondary education. You know, these broad stroke, broad brush things that, oh, within the strike of the pen, we can, oh, we don't like the way you govern. We don't like the way that there's backlash or pushback coming from our requests. We'll just do away with the entity altogether. And I think the quote that I saw is that if the college board can't provide us what we need, we'll find somebody who can do it better. And so the thing that we have to remember is that today they'll come for our schools. Tomorrow, they're going to come for something else. We've been long having fights about public safety and other places where we've been feeling squeezed out and marginalized. So this idea of us, this idea of growing power to create that multiracial democracy is about all of us taking our our part, our part in the fight and our part in the challenge. And so, you know, I really appreciated you lifting that up. I, I do also want to name um, faith leaders because I do believe that faith leaders, just like they did in the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s, I do believe that faith leaders, too, have a role to play currently, right? A lot of times they're the first people to know that a family is in crisis. A lot of times they're the first ones to know that there are community issues also present themselves in schools and public places. And we have to understand that together we have to find a way to address and make public education a safe place for all of our kids, right? Yeah. So this culture right? This culture about public education. 
is right now has lots of folks anxious. Parents are anxious. Educators are anxious. Policymakers are anxious. And so when we talk about you, this podcast is called The Momentum. And when we talk about meeting the moment, I'm wondering, you know, where is the place for the next big response? We've seen some things come down just as of, what is it, last week from President Biden's office, from our executive government that's talking about this executive order where now there is going to be racial equity plans that's required for all sectors and offices of of our federal government. And we've seen, you know, that, that that was one of the first things that President Biden did when he took office was to sign the executive order, order on racial equity. And now this is in a continued, a second continued order on, on racial equity and further kind of outlining what does it mean to have racial equity in all facets of our federal government. But we know that then states have, have autonomy, how they implement policy. So how do we meet this moment Is there a way for us to connect what is happening at the federal level, what is being called on by local communities, and then really pushing states to be more responsive to communities and be more responsive to kind of what is the order and and law of our country at the federal level? Like what, how do we use this? Is there, is there something that we can use this momentum that is happening at the federal level to drive change at the state level? What are your thoughts on that? I feel like it's all the things, not just one thing. And I also feel like it's every direction, not just one direction, mm-hmm. right? I feel like the the first, there's two things. When we talk about momentum, we have to think about what we can do that immediately that has a return on an immediate gratification, right? So there's that. And sadly, elections have consequences, right? So we have to also, because all of this stuff, like you said earlier, they've been doing this for a long time. And we have to stop reacting to what they're doing and being very deliberate and very strategic about what we're going to do and do that. We also have to be very deliberate about our response to them. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So we have We have several levels in which we have to carry that momentum, right? We have immediate, immediate gratification type things to do, which is organize. We have to organize. And that doesn't always mean marching in the streets. That means organizing deliberately, not just marching, but then marching right into a school board meeting, marching into Tallahassee, marching into, but very, very deliberate about what we are saying and being seen, right? We talk about parental rights, but trans kids' parent has rights too. That's right. Black parents have rights too. When we talk about parental rights, that includes everyone, all of us. There is the immediate pushback where people, and and I think the importance of the pushback on the immediate grassroots level is that we make every effort that we can for each and every one of us to recognize each other in this fight. So that there's something, something about your child being a senior in high school and his future in public education or what's at risk or what's at stake for him and how that impacts his future other parents can resonate with, right? Then we start to think about, okay, 
who are we and how can we support our elected leaders so that they see that they have allies in us and that we can support them in doing the right thing. There was nothing more beautiful than that summer of action than seeing the enormous collective sigh of relief from all of these school board members that were like, oh, these are not people, these people are our allies. These are not people who have come here to attack us and threaten us. These are people who actually had a collective interest in what community looks like. Mm -hmm. And then longer term for things to go through a court system, things to go through legislation, take time. But we still have to do the immediate things, but we can't ignore people running for office. We can't ignore really understanding and advocating for our issues with prospective candidates. And we can't just elect them to office and then think that that's going to be it. We have to keep the pressure on them the same way the opposition is keeping the pressure on these egregious actions and legislation. Yeah. Maybe we took a collective gasp for air, came up for air, you know, felt like we could breathe because there was just so much love. If I can just call out that there was so much love. It was There beautiful. was so much love in all of the efforts. I mean, and we were talking about canvassing and doing community action and campaigning. You know, every week it felt like there was an event or something going on and folks were, were, were threading together and trying to figure out ooh, who can go here to cover that. And there was a lot of love and a lot of passion because, again, we were united around this kind of common purpose and holding common ground. And I think now that we are, I don't, I don't know that we took our foot off the gas, but there is something about having this ongoing visibility when something is right in front of you, because there were things that were in committee and we were trying to influence the bills that were on the deck and things like that. And then we went back to try to figure out how do we do some backroom organizing? How do we make sure that we are also taking care of ourselves as we figure out what needs to come next? And then mm -hmm. this course of action came upon us. And so I'm thinking about what those of us who are in the everyday grind of movement work, right? Because this is an everyday grind work. What do we need as movement organizers from movement organizations, right? Like Race Forward and others who care about these issues. What do we need so that our cups can be replenished so that we can continue the fight for us, the fight for community, and that organizing doesn't become an event, but it becomes a way of life? When I think about what you're saying, I think about a couple of things. Number one, remember when we were in Phoenix with Race Forward and the, the opening yes. session was rest. Rest mm -hmm. is a radical mm -hmm. act. I think about that. Because the act of self-care is so important to movement work. I think that that is one of the places to start. The other thing, what's next and how I see movement work is not cyclical and it's not one-offs. I see it as building blocks. I see it as there are protests and presence and showing up. And what do we do with that? Right. Because then the next stage is carrying these conversations like we've shared conversations in our common purpose meetings. Right. 
we've gone out and demonstrated that we've canvassed. And I think, you know, one of the things that I feel is so beautiful about it is that people see how much love and joy we have for this. You know what I mean? So when you're canvassing and you're talking about it, it's very infectious for people to just want to be a part of this dialogue. When we're talking about this work, I feel like we take it, we use every experience as a building block to do outreach, to build capacity, to create awareness, to do transformational work. Transformational work takes time, Mm -hmm. but that's what HEAL is all about, right? That's what this whole initiative is about, is using our experiences, using our organizing and movement work to build, to transform. Things. I'm glad you brought up Heal, right? A national campaign here at Race Forward, Heal Together for honest, accurate, and fully funded public education that is trying to put back the public in democracy so we can have honest and accurate public education towards this idea of our establishing and holding a, multi- a just multiracial democracy. So I think about this campaign and I think about some of the tools that it is offering to community groups like Common Purpose and others, to cities, to school boards. We're working with school board members and officials who say, yeah, our our schools need to be autonomous from a political agenda, that we won't have public education weaponized as as a political soundbite, as a way to advance a right-wing agenda, and that we are standing up against white nationalism and authoritarianism, and that Black lives do matter. And that critical race theory as a concept is an important thing for us to think about, particularly for our students in higher education. But I find that so many groups now are shying away, right? We thought we won. We had this equity statement. It was profound and bold, and it was right out there. And a couple weeks ago, that statement got stripped down. It's like bare bones. Folks are moving away from even talking about racial equity, talking about racial justice. I mean, I, I don't even know if we can say the word freedom or liberation at this point, because we're trying to cover ourselves from these attacks so that we aren't standing up like a shiny diamond for somebody to come in and implant folks on our boards and our dioceses that prevents us from doing the good work and prevents us from teaching our our students a true and accurate history. So what do we do when we're feeling handcuffed, when words are getting stripped down, when you don't even know what to say? You don't know if you can even have up a BLM poster in businesses. Your words make me think about, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't know if I, I remember the quote exactly, but Helen Keller said something like, you can try to stop a movement, but you can't erase an idea. Ooh, come with it, Maria. Come with it. <laughs> okay. It's already out there. When you see, and it was it's funny because we did this press conference on book banning, and I thought about a book that made such an impact on me, which was The Bluest Eye. It's on that mm-hmm. list of mm-hmm. banned books, right? And I can't tell you the profound impact that book had on me seeing myself, right? So here we are doing this work through Heal Together and the partnership and the work that we do together. I think about the ability that we have to recognize each other, but for us to see ourselves too. 
And I feel like when we, when we are carrying that through and we're following through on that, that can't be stopped. Right. Like I was at a, and I was at an event last night and uh, Hakeem Jeffries was there. Right. I heard about it. And he said, he said the one thing that he talked about was our history that for every time that we made progress, there was backlash. Mm -hmm. We make progress. There's backlash. We make progress. There's backlash. We're in that moment now where, where whenever we make progress, there will be backlash. I feel like it's too late to change course and move backwards when too many people are aware of what their own agency is, their their own identity is, and their own potential and possibilities are as individuals and as a collective, right? They've seen that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there will always be backlash and we always have to prepare ourselves for the backlash. And we always have to be, but we always also have to be fortified that we know that what we're doing is just, what we're doing is right. What we're doing means something and it matters. It matters to the people before us and it matters to the people coming behind us. Yeah. Thanks for, for bringing the ancestors in the room, right? That we're doing this work on the shoulders of those who have come before us, right? Those who, like us, have fought and lost. There's been regression. There's always going to be regression before you have progression. But at the end of the day, the reason why these things are coming fast and furious, as I like to sometimes coin it, is because we're doing some right things, right? And Heal talks about that this work, you know, it's rooted in this in this desire for a collective liberation and the struggle and freedoms for Black communities and Black people of this country, and that we already have a technology for how do we stand up to these things and how we triumph because we we've been there before and we know that we can. And so when we're calling together the students, the parents, the educators, the school board members and those who sit in the halls of government who believe in justice, in truth, in honesty and have the boldness of leadership and the courage to stand up for the students who aren't able to stand up for themselves in some ways that together we we just are stronger together we're just more powerful together we can combat this kind of attack on our public schools on our public freedoms and so we know that this week in the last couple of weeks here in Florida it was the AP course but it isn't new cuz we've been there before last summer it was the attack on LGBTQIA+ young people yep and how they were showing up in schools it was a, it was attacks on basically black students and there'll be something else unfortunately because this is the environment that we are traversing here in florida and we have to bring some accountability back into these public systems to be able to advance and to stay the course right we meet the moment by staying the course we meet the moment by being firm and deliberate in our actions. We meet the moment by organizing. We meet the moment by building the, the connective tissue between each of us and the things that we're bringing to the table. So I go back to what you said, the us is all of us and the us is now and the moment is right now. So are there any last few words that you want to say, Dr. Cole, as we've... 
I just want to affirm what you just said by another one of my favorite justice-seeking activists, Fannie Lou Hamer. We aren't free until everybody's free. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, those are the kind of organizing, those are the kind of words I organize around in common purpose all the time. We are not free until everybody's free. We have to stand in the gap for one another, advocate on behalf of one another, and recognize each other's humanity. And I want to thank you for us having the chance to sit down and have this chat, sharing ideas about what this is, what it means to be in common purpose and community with one another. This has been a beautiful conversation. Oftentimes when we're together, we're so busy in the action of the doing that we don't get a chance to even reflect on how we've gotten to where we've gotten. So I appreciate the stories, you know, this is a podcast, but we were smiling when we were talking about how this even all came to be. And so I want to thank you and I want to honor you for for the partnership, for the continued partnership. You know, before I came here to GARE, I've spent 15 years in government trying to have conversations where oftentimes folks weren't listening, but we're trying to get folks inside of government to listen to the things that I was hearing and doing out in community it is my life's work, right? We have to act like we want to radically transform the world and we have to do it right now. And we have to do it every day and we have to do it when we're tired and we have to do it when we're filled with joy and hope. But this conversation alone gives me hope. It gives me hope that we can restore honest, accurate public education that centers all of our children. And so I want to thank you for meeting the moment And I look forward to continuing to being on the battle lines with you and with Common Purpose as we bring back common sense, as we stand our ground, and that we continue to work towards this common vision of a multiracial democracy. So thank you, Dr. Cole. Hi, my name is Dennis Chen, and I'm the Vice President of Narrative Arts and Culture at Race Forward. I'm so glad to have Maria Cole talk with us. I met Maria and Common Purpose, her organization, through our work at Heal Together. For those that want to know more about Heal Together, we invite you in. We've launched Heal Together last year, and since then, we've grown to 26 grassroots community partners in 19 states, working in dozens of local school districts, all of whom are fighting for honest, equitable, and fully funded public education as the foundation for a just, multiracial democracy. Once again, thank you for listening. Stay up to date on the latest on our work by following us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to listen to our classic episodes and our brand new episodes of Momentum when they drop. I'm Hendaleva, and we'll see you for our next episode coming soon.